Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the 1700s, a German romantic poet is purported to have said, God on his deathbed, God will forgive me, that's his job. Well, there's a little bit of arrogant defiance in that statement, I think, and a presumption in it also, as if placing an obligation on God, it cheapens the actual free gift of grace so freely bestowed by a loving God without acknowledging that there's a cost involved. There was a cost involved. And the truth also that not all receive that which has been freely offered. There was a cost for God himself, the cost of the death of the Son. And in order to receive the full effect of that freely offered grace of forgiveness, something is required of us. Not before the grace is offered, the grace is freely offered, but for it to fill us, to bring new life for us, for it to be fully received within us, There is something that is required of us, and that is repentance, confession, and renunciation. Those are all part of our baptismal service before we're baptized. The grace is freely, freely given, but we don't receive it in its fullness until we've passed through repentance, confession, and renunciation. In other words, sin is not to be taken lightly. God doesn't take it lightly. In fact, he took it heavily upon himself on the cross. Just because something is freely given doesn't mean that it is not without cost or that it's automatically received. Imagine, if you will, a parched land that is very much in need of rain, and the rain comes down, deluging down, but somebody's put a tarpaulin over the land. The rain is freely given. It's just not able to feed the desert land, the dried-out land, unless... The tarpaulin is removed. The tarpaulin on the dry wilderness spaces of our lives in need of God's forgiveness, in need of that rain, that nourishing rain in our lives. That tarpaulin of ours is repentance, confession, and renunciation. We're to confess, to acknowledge before God specifically what we have done wrong, what is sin in our lives. We're to repent, to be sorry for what has happened because of our actions. And we're to renounce, we're to make a conscious effort to turn away from the sins that we have committed and to walk in the opposite direction, to think how we could act differently the next time around. This week on Facebook, um, 
there was a post by a teacher and there were a couple of stick figures and she was talking about how to get the class when they had hurt each other to say sorry and there were these two stick figures and the one with kind of a scowl on his face is going I'm sorry and any one of you who have had children or have been in a class that's oftentimes will you say you're sorry to Johnny now And, of course, that's oftentimes the way in which sorry is said. It's not at all meant. And so she came up with this uh, different way of doing it. She said, uh, you're to say sorry and be specific. Be specific about what you're sorry for. That's repentance. She's actually using repentance, confession, and renunciation in a new way in her classroom. So be specific. Uh, Not just say, because I was mean, or because it was mean what I said, but exactly what it was. What was said that was mean. What you did that was mean. So not in generalities, but in specifics. That's repentance, saying you're sorry for something specific. And she says to say why the behavior was wrong. She said, you're not going to say why your behavior was wrong was because you got in trouble. Um, You're going to say what effect it had on the other person, it was wrong because it hurt your feelings and made you feel bad about yourself. That's confession. It's confessing exactly what was wrong in the behavior. And then to say what you will do differently in the future and to not say it in a negative, but to say it in a positive So to say, if I have bad thoughts in the future, I'll keep them to myself. That's renunciation. That's completely turning away from the way we normally act to a different way. One day, uh, the principal came up to this teacher and said, you know, two of your students got into an argument on the playground. And the teacher's thinking, well, I know which two it was. And, um, you know, he's going to tell me about them. And the principal says, I was so amazed how they dealt with that. And she said, you know, just know that in a class, there are some who get more practice with this than others. <laughs> and the principal said, I, I just heard them. He, they said, he said, I'm sorry because of, um, and um, I know it was wrong because of, And next time, I'll do this instead of. Yes? What a difference in a classroom. Changes the whole way of being in a class and indeed in the school. Why am I going here? Because in Romans, what's happened is Paul is preaching a message of grace. So much so that there are others who are coming and saying, well, you might as well keep on doing what's bad because you'll get just that much more grace. Um, They've taken his preaching and the pendulum has swung as too far the other way. And he's saying, absolutely not. 
that's not what it's about. Yes, grace is freely given, but that doesn't give us free charter to continue to sin. He's quite categorical, by no means. And then he goes to baptism. And so he's using baptism to say why we should not continue in our sin. Why we should just not continue doing things just because we like to do them and just because, as the German romantic poet said, well, God will forgive me anyway. No, he says, you've been baptized. In baptism, you've moved from one kind of humanity to another kind of humanity. Your status has changed. For Paul, the practical and physical beginning of the Christian life is through baptism. He says we've actually died with the Messiah. In baptism, we were nailed to that cross. In fact, we should have been nailed to that cross. We should have felt the nails go through our hands and our feet and the spear go through our side. But Jesus took all of that on himself. He took all of our sins. So the sins that would have made us die, he's taken on himself and they've died with him. So our old humanity died on the cross with Christ Paul is saying. He said, you were nailed to the cross through the waters of baptism. When you went under the waters of baptism, or for us, the water represents this this dying in the waters of baptism to an old humanity. And he says, so if you died with Christ, then when Easter morning comes through those waters, yet more are you raised with Christ to a new humanity, a different way of being. Your status has changed from old humanity that led to death. That's it, nothing more, death. To a new humanity where you already have eternal life and a new life. And we used to use the word christening, christened, um, when we talk about baptism because we're enchristed, we're placed within Christ. Christ, we take on Christ's character. We are in Christed. We're no longer in sin. We're in Christ. Through the waters of baptism, our status changes. We become a new person. We become a new person in Christ. And the Easter life of Easter morning is now ours. So we're no longer to remain in that in-sin person. You can never unbaptize somebody. You can't unbaptize somebody. That's just, you can't do it. Once you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. Now, we don't always grow into fully that which we are. We are what we are. And Paul says, look at this accounting. Look at it from a bookkeeping perspective. 
If you're a shopkeeper and you've taken in certain amount of money during the day, it's in your till, right? You don't exactly know how much is in the till, but there's money in the till that you've taken in from all of your sales during the day. He said, reckon it up. Reckon it up. If you reckon it up, you're not changing physically the money that's in there, but you know now what is in there. So you sum it all up and you know that which you have. That which you have is fully Christ. You are in Christ. So he says, you've died to the old way. You're in a new life. The status has changed and now we've got to take the steps to bring our life into line with what we have become. We are already in the till, if you will. We've now got to do the calculation and really enter into that which we are. N.T. Wright um, uses a, a, an analogy from the Middle Ages. He says, I, I like to imagine myself in the Middle Ages. I probably wouldn't have liked to have lived in the Middle Ages. But he says, I imagine, that, if you will, that I'm a smallholder on the property with a master. And he's not a very nice master. I've got all of the implements of farming. I've got a hoe and, uh, um, and, the, and, and things to work the land with, rakes and all of those kind of things. And I'm, and I'm using them to till the land and to provide for my family. But this master is not a nice master. And is always going off and having wars all over the place. And he threatens me uh, with burning down my house or with hurting my family. And he makes me uh, melt down the plows and the hoes and all of those kind of things and make swords into them, go off and fight in these wars that are his wars that I don't want to fight in. He said, and then one day I decide when he's away from the property to cross over the river um, into another property that's owned by a different master. Well, the new master welcomes me in, gives me land, and I rebuild the farm and get my farming equipment again, and it's wonderful. Now, every once in a while, my old master sends his henchman over to try and do me harm or to bring me back over to that side, but he says, in actual fact, it looks like the henchman and the old master are actually a little bit afraid of my new master. Not only that, but my new master wants me to help out in the work that he has to do. And the work that he has to do is to make hospitals and schools to help people who are really in need. And, and he has me help him out with all of those different things. The new master, of course, is God. He's the master of grace. He's the master who just freely gives grace. And the old master is our enemy, the devil, 
who wants to take us away from that kind of life, who wants to draw us into sin and evil. Uh, some of you might know um, Dylan, uh, Bob Dylan's song, um, You've Got to Serve Somebody. Anybody know that? You've got to serve somebody. Yep, either the devil or the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Uh, Google it. It's a great song. I mean, there are some things in there. It's, but it's true. We've got to serve Either the devil or the Lord. At one point or another, we just have to make that decision. And actually, we make that decision minute by minute in the day. Who is going to have our primary focus? Are we going to allow ourselves to be drawn back um, into sin? Or are we going to live fully into the life that is now ours under our new master, the master of grace? And are we going to give all of our lives over to him. Because the enemy of our souls is the one who would not have us live into the newness of life that is ours. Jesus says something similar (coughs) in today's gospel. He says, don't fear, fear, and then don't fear. Did you notice that as we went through that gospel reading? He says, don't fear the ones who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy your soul and your body in hell, who is the fiend, the enemy of our souls. But don't worry, because God is greater, and he cares for you, and he counts the hairs on your head. And if he cares for two sparrows, how much of more value are you than many, many sparrows? So do not fear. Julian of Norwich said this, Our good protector showed me the fiend's hatred, so I would understand that our enemy causes anything that falls outside love and peace. Our weakness and foolishness trip us, but the Spirit's mercy and grace lift us to even greater joy. We're to keep remembering which master it is that we serve and that in baptism the change in allegiance has already been made. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer of the Middle Ages, when he was tempted, would shout out, I've been baptized! Uh, you know, maybe we need to shout that out as well when we, when we feel that we're tempted uh, to sin. I've been baptized, the allegiance has already been moved. I'm no longer in my old humanity, I'm in a completely new humanity. Not completely how it will be when the Lord returns, but there has been a status change. There's been an allegiance change. There is a change in the spiritual realm. And so if we've come under the allegiance of a new master then they have to fully be our master. Who are we serving and how do we serve? It's to give over our bodies, our money, our mind, our memory, our intelligence, our imaginations, our emotions, all of who we are in the service of the true master, who is the master of grace. Such grace, who gives freely of his gift of forgiveness. Again, Julian of Norwich says, This master of grace is our ground. 
the soil from which we grow, the foundation on which we're built. He guards us and keeps us safe when we're in the midst of sin, when our own choices allow our enemies to surround us, when we do not even realize our own need. He guards us with care and kindness, showing us where we've gone astray. And his presence is always with us, and his loving gaze never wavers. For he wants us to turn back to him and become united with him in love, as he is with us. See, every day, we must look to the one master or the other. Let us always look to the dear master of grace who loves us so very dearly. In the name of that one master, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.